So as we begin, let's uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, for your words uh, given to us in the Bible. Thank you that uh, we are able to uh, freely access uh, that word. And we just pray that this morning you will show us what you want to say to us through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. About 15 years ago, I stood up uh, to start a talk uh, like this, and as I stood up, I suddenly realised that I was about to talk on the wrong passage. I was about to talk on the passage that was going to be talked on the following week. And so I have to start by saying, if you want to hear a really good talk on this passage, then come next week. Well, today I am preaching, I think, on the right passage, um, but I have to say to you, if you want to hear a really good talk on this passage, then go back and listen to what was said uh, two weeks ago by Matt Levitt. Go back and listen to what was said three weeks ago by Andy Malcolm. And then go back and listen to what was said in November last year by uh, my various people, uh, including Victor Jack on Matthew chapter 12, because I'm going to be referring to, uh, to all of these things uh, as I go through uh, the talk today. Now, today's passage uh, moves on from what Matt Levitt was talking about uh, two weeks ago. There's a change of context. Right at the end of Matthew chapter 15, after the feeding of the 4,000 uh, men and, uh, and their families uh, that Matt Levitt spoke about two weeks ago, it says this. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. That places today's passage clearly on the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, whereas the feeding of the 4,000 uh, had been on the Gentile side. Now today's passage uh, splits into two parts. The first is a scene involving a confrontation between Jesus on the one hand and the Pharisees and the Sadducees on the other. So let's uh, begin by reading the first four verses of Matthew chapter 16. And hopefully the words will appear on the screen, they will indeed. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. Now, at first sight, the request of the Pharisees and the Sadducees seems reasonable, doesn't it? 
Just so, show us a sign, Jesus, and then we'll believe. And a sign, let's be clear, is a miracle. But, and I wonder, you know, what sign you might long to see today. But, uh, I just have to ask you, would, would a sign really convince you about Jesus? Would it really show you what Jesus wants in a way that you would actually follow it? But you see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had already seen lots of signs. They'd already seen lots of miracles. As Andy Malcolm told us uh, three weeks ago, they'd seen a Gentile Canaanite woman who had argued with Jesus had told him that what he was saying was wrong and Jesus healed her daughter from terrible suffering. Did the Pharisees and Sadducees not know about that? Or if they didn't know about the healing of this one girl, how could they have failed to hear about Jesus healing great crowds? of the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. Such crowds that the healings took three days, as Matt Levitt spoke to us about two weeks ago. Or the feeding of 4,000 Gentile men with the women and children who were with them from seven loaves and a few small fish. How could they fail to be aware of these events, these miracles that took place on the other side of a lake that took just two hours to cross and which Jesus crisscrossed in his ministry? The Pharisees and Sadducees didn't need just one more miracle to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that in him the kingdom of God had broken in. They had seen lots of miracles. They had already made up their minds. They'd seen a man healed in a synagogue on the Sabbath day. And their response back in Matthew chapter 12 was this. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. And so when they ask for another sign, Jesus challenges them. They're intelligent people. They can interpret the weather and what a red sky points to is different in morning from evening. But they won't interpret a miracle and who that points to. It wasn't the first time that they'd asked for a sign. Victor Jack pointed out when he talked, spoke on Matthew chapter 12 that Jesus uh, talked to them about a sign from their history, the sign of Jonah. And really the sign of Jonah comes in two parts. One at that, at that time pointed to a future event, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because just as Jesus was raised on the third day, Jonah was vomited up by the fish 
on the first day. But the second part of the same journal is this. They could see it at the time. Just like Jonah spoke to the people of Nineveh, a people totally distinct from the covenant people of God, and he gave them a very simple message, which was, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. They turned from their evil ways in their thousands. They turned en masse to God. So in the same way, the Gentiles had responded to the healings and the signs of Jesus. As Matt Levin spoke about a fortnight ago, they praised the God of Israel. They turned in their thousands to Jesus. And what caused that? Just the signs. So Jesus then left them and went away. So who are the sign seekers today? Who are the people whose lives we long to see change spiritually as we not only look up and in, as Matt Warnock spoke about last week, but also look out? There's a Scottish pastor called David Robertson who speaks about the different types of atheists. Most of the people we know around us are what he calls agnostic atheists. People who lie in bed thinking not about the meaning of life and why suffering, but thinking of the bills they have to pay or the visit they have made to the doctor. For them, normal life does not involve God in any way. Then there are the fundamentalist atheists, people who are 100% committed to the idea that there is no God, but all religions are a threat to humanity, who are, um, as one chap who came along to uh, an Alpha course said, described himself to me, they are evangelistic atheists. They want to convince you that, uh, that what they are saying is right. And then there are religious atheists, and I'm one of them. Because you see, people out there believe in all kinds of different gods, and I don't believe in any of them, except the one who is God, the Trinity. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit three in one, the God that only Christians believe in. Who, which of them are truly seeking signs that will change their life? From whom, like Jesus that day in the story, should we walk away? I'll come back to that later. But let's read now the rest of the passage from verse 5 to verse 12 of Matthew chapter 16. 
When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It's because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. I don't know about your Bible, but in most of the Bibles I have in my house, there are section headings, and the section heading of the passage that Matt Levitt spoke on two years ago was, is Jesus feeds the 4,000. But when you read the story, a fuller title might be this. Jesus thanks God for the loaves and the fish and gives them to the disciples <coughs> to feed the 4,000. I wonder if you've ever wondered what 4,000 people look like. This picture uh, was taken at a recent concert, a test event where the number of tickets was limited to 4,000 people. Imagine now being given this. Have a loaf. And being given this piece of fish. If you want to, you can come and smell it. I would recommend it. Come and smell it later. And being told Go and feed at least 300 people using this loaf and this fish. Go and feed 300 people with it. You can just imagine the disciples putting the bread and the fish in some sort of container and going up to the first person and giving them the bread and giving them the fish and thinking now what do I do? and then going to the second person and reaching into the basket or into the container knowing full well that it would be empty and finding it wasn't empty and being able to give some bread and some fish to the second person and doing it again for the third person and the fourth person and the hundredth person and the three hundredth person how could you forget something like that and when they were all full these four thousand men and the women and the children who were with them there were seven huge baskets left over you couldn't forget such an experience 
especially when you've experienced it twice, when you've fed 5,000 people and 4,000 people. But maybe, maybe you hadn't really thought through what it really meant. Matt might have put it something like this. Jesus is concerned not about our ability. Not one of us can eat hundreds of people from that small bit of bread. But it's about our availability. Not one of the disciples was able to feed 350 men and women and children on top of that. But by making themselves available, by making themselves available to fail, they saw Jesus do a great miracle through their availability. And that's my prayer for each one of us. But we might make ourselves available to see God do great things. Which brings us back to the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees knew a truth. And the truth was that faith in God needs to affect how you live your life. The problem was this. But just as a little yeast can affect a huge volume of flour and goes through the whole volume of flour, that little truth impacted the whole lives of the Pharisees. It impacted everything they did. There are truths today that can do the same. Society tells us today, you don't know the answer to every question. I'll tell you this, I certainly don't know the answer to every question that people who don't yet know Jesus might ask. So I can either treat that as a little piece of information so that you know, when somebody asks a question that I don't know, I'll go and ask somebody who does think. Um, but, or I can treat, you know, or I can take it as yeast. You know, I don't know the answer to every question. I better not, you know, I better not start telling anybody. They might ask me a question I don't know. It can paralyze us into inactivity. And then, as it says on the reusable mugs that some of us have, how will they hear? If we have the mindset that it's all down to our ability, how will they hear? Jesus walked away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees that day. The thing is this, we, we, try, we tend to group the Pharisees all under one badge. But every single Pharisee was just like every one of us. They're an individual human being made in the image of God. 
The Bible mentions by name at least two Pharisees, Nicodemus and Gamaliel, who were open to seeing that Jesus might be the one ushering in that kingdom. We don't have time to go into their stories today, but we might want to look them up uh, in the Bible. None of us will convert to Christianity any agnostic atheist or fundamentalist atheist or non-Christian religious atheist. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. But as the coffee cups remind us, we do have a role to show the love of Jesus, to tell people the story. Those of you on Sharing Life will have seen on Tuesday an encouraging story from Linda about a Muslim chap who asked, why do others not speak? Let me tell you another story. In the 1970s, and big part in the 1960s, the government in Pakistan built a dam. It flooded a huge part of the Mirpur district of Kashmir. And that displaced thousands and thousands and thousands of people because their land was flooded. And lots of them came to the UK. Today there are more of that people group in the UK than are left in Kashmir. It's estimated that they make up between 60 and 70 percent of the, of the British Pakistani population. And when they came to the UK in the 1960s, the British church in general did not tell them about Jesus. They regarded them as religious atheists. And in retrospect, looking back, at the time that they first came to the UK, they were probably a bit dissatisfied with the Muslim government in Pakistan. They were probably more open then than ever to to the Christian message. But the result of the church not talking to this group is this. That of this 60 or 70 percent of the British Pakistani population, it's estimated that less than 10 of them are Christians today. In the news at the moment, we hear a lot about refugees coming from Afghanistan. <coughs> How will they hear if we don't make ourselves available? How will they hear if we have a scarcity mindset in terms of our ability, rather than looking at the God who has so much and can do so much in people's lives. How will they hear if we don't tell them? 
Let's pray. And my Father, just uh, last week, a number of us sat here and said, along with Matt, uh, with Matt Warnock, we said, I will be Jesus to those you put in my path, showing grace. And so, Father, help us to look out, to look out to people, not have that scarcity mindset, but to have gratitude for your abundance, for your grace, for all that you have given to us, for all that you have done for us, and help us to share that good news with others whom you put in our path. And we ask it in Jesus' name.